Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. Actually, no, I take that back. I did play keyboards once for a band before I played bass for a band. Yeah. Now, now uh, I believe your band was called Trapper Keeper. Do I remember that correctly? Yes, in college, that yes. was my band, all-girl band and uh, called Trapper Keeper. We were kind of like... Um, Peaches, if you will. Oh, nice. And yeah, b- yeah, but yeah, you were the peaches. bass player in that organization. Uh, I actually played bass and guitar in that band. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey. Hi. Uh, welcome to our record store. My name is Seth. This is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and, uh, you know, just give us a shout if you need anything. Uh, I, 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 I love the bass. The bass is such a wonderful thing because it's both instrument as well as percussion, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful instrument in nearly every regard. And I, I feel like it sparks such uh, controversy as well as love in the world of music, which is kind of a strange thing. And oh, hey, uh, this is a guest that uh, I believe can actually help uh, fill us in on more information about the bass guitar. It's Greg Corner. Hello, sir. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, I, haven't been in, I haven't been in a record store in uh, over a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're happy to, uh, uh, you know, be your initiation back into this world. And uh, uh, Greg, we were just talking about the bass guitar. You, you know bass guitar. You've played the hell out of a bass guitar. Yes, I played uh, bass. God, I've been playing bass now for, I think, over 30 years. Wow. And um, yeah, I toured, toured in a band called Kill Hannah for 20 and um yeah it's 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 you know i i was a failed guitar player mm. and um <laughs> i just picked up the bass and um that was i just knew that was my instrument and I, like i think the chord thing just playing chords was always too hard for me you I, know so yeah. uh i just gravitated to a bass and you know i was in a band i think like everybody needed a bass player yes. you know when i was in high school and so i was in a band i think a month after or two months after learning the bass. And then oh, wow. you know, that's how I learned. Fast, you know? yeah. No, yeah. no, I, but I fully agree with you that like the best way to be a bass player is to own a bass because every band needs someone that actually owns a bass. Yeah, And isn't yeah. just like playing root notes, you know, really low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's how you learn, you know, your guitar player is like, hey, just play this, you know? And you're like just following him on like the chord changes. And that's kind of like how you develop your ear. And then you can start like, you know, experimenting and, you know, jamming or whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, well, yeah. well, a big thing that I want to talk about, because, you know, uh, every day around here, we play the high fidelity game, kill some time. And top five bass lines is like a fun topic because, you know, the bass player never gets enough credit for, for, for being as instrumental, no pun intended, to the band, you know? I mean, I, I'm just happy that you know what the bass is. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many people don't even know what it what it sounds like when they listen to an album. They know it's there, but they don't know how to, like their ear doesn't know how to separate instruments, really. You right. know, they know what drums are, they know what guitar is, they know what vocal is. But the bass is hidden to them, you know, to a lot of people. Yeah, or maybe they even know what, like, a bass sound is, like, a bass sort of sound, but not, yeah. like, a bass guitar, because they might be like, oh, well, I hear a bass, but it's actually maybe the synth or yeah, something. Yeah. Or, you know, or they just know the kick drum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Which it, is important for yeah. a bass player to know. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also interesting, too, because in the more modern world of there being more music producers than there are musicians, and not not to say music producers aren't musicians, but people using, you know, like drum pads far more often than they're actually using keys, and that kind of replacing a bass guitar in many worlds, and the difference between 
a drum beat and a bass beat. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a fascinating how those worlds are kind of melding and kind of like, like the whole world of rhythm and bass being like the driving, like metronome of the band is being tied into like almost different instruments now. I don't know. There, there aren't too many guitar-based yeah, yeah. bands is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something I wanted to talk about too and get your opinion on. But I feel like, you know, probably not since like the dance punk indie electro thing back mm -hmm. in the mid to, you know, like early 2000s. Yeah. Like the bass, there's not been songs based around a bass line. Yes. Where that is the song. And that was a big thing with alternative in the 80s and the 90s mm -hmm. and even punk, you know, in the 70s. And it's really lacking today. And I want to get your perspective on why you think that's happening because I have one. Absolutely. I would love to know what your why why you, you that might be happening in, in your opinion. Well, I, I do have an opinion on this. Okay. But I'm going to slowly parse out my opinion as I break <laughs> down my top five bass lines of all time. Okay? Okay. And right. uh, I, I hope you'll stick around and join us, Greg. Uh, I, I definitely want your input on this. And, um, you know, let's just kick it off. Uh, because the first one actually ties into something you just said. It was an excellent era for the bass guitar. My number five. The song is called Blood on Our Hands. It's by Death From Above 1979, All and right. it's from the 2004 album, You're a Woman, I'm a Machine. Great choice. Great choice. Yeah. I, I mean, when you think bass guitar, I, I I really do think about this band. There aren't too many bands that are just bass and drum, you know? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. they pulled it off really yeah. well. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, uh, Jesse F. Keeler, who was the uh, bass... Well, you know, I guess they are back together. So I'm going to say is. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. back together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually saw them uh, not too long ago performing at... I guess here's the order of my love for Death From Above, which was... Um, Obviously, uh, their their first EP and uh, Your Woman, I'm a Machine, everyone who was paying attention to music fell in love with the, those two releases. They, yeah, they were just yeah. great. They were a breath of fresh air, really straightforward and fun. Um, I remember something that uh, Jesse said uh, around that time was that they, they really wanted to be as like pure and simple as possible. And um, he referred to, to themselves as... Um, how they wanted to be the ACDC of hardcore. And I was like, <laughs> mm, well. yeah, I, I see that. Like, like, like really straightforward, just kind of like simplistic rock and roll. That's catchy and fun, but also kind of punches you in the face a little bit. Like they, they were successful, I think in, in yeah, that regard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think everyone fell in love with them there. They broke up. Everyone was sad. Uh, then I watched that documentary about them. Did you guys ever see that? I never saw that. No, I didn't know there was one. There, there, I didn't either. There's a really interesting documentary out there, basically all about the um, the death and rebirth of Death from Above, 1979. And it's fascinating because you, you really do see that like the whole root of it is just because these two guys couldn't get along very well. Like that's that's more or less oh. the crux of, of them breaking up. And then seeing them get back together, it's like, oh, wow, you're not only are you back together, they've released more albums during yeah. their reunion than they ever did <laughs> yeah. in their original union, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty cool to they me. They grew up. The it what? was Mastercraft's fault. Mastercraft's uh, fault. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I said they grew up. That's honestly part, probably part of it. Or, I mean, in, or yeah. he just stopped DJing. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. <laughs> and, and I, what, also, what are the things? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tara. 
Oh, I was just going to ask, like, I can't think of many other just bass and drums bands yeah. except for like Morphine, but they had a saxophone player too. But that's uh, the only other one I can think and of. And just two strings on bass too. Yeah. I, I, oh, I can't whoa. think of any. I mean, yeah. I mean, the only other thing, the closest I can think of would be the White Stripes, obviously. And then of yeah, course, spin off of the White Stripes, drums. you know, the Black Keys. But um, don't get me started on the White Stripes. <laughs> I, I oh, shan't. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but, yeah, but, but I also remember when I saw them live not too long ago, this was on their first reunion tour. I also remember seeing how much of a um, synthesizer they had on stage uh, for, for playing their new songs, which was pretty cool. They, they, it was all neat and stuff. But I love the just the wide variety of sounds that uh, Jesse gets out of his bass. Like it, they really do lead, and they make like these you know, like those like these really distinctive noises that I've never heard anyone else get. Like the boom, boom, like it's it's an impressive noise. It's distinct to them, and I I think that's one reason why I I put them down as being so memorable. You know? Yeah, good choice. I I agree with that. Um, uh, so, so now at this point, I'll tell you guys how I decided on my top five, okay? Um, okay? Because I really wanted to focus on most memorable, I actually didn't do too much thinking. What I did is I literally thought to myself, quick, five memorable bass lines, yeah, and yeah, I wrote them yeah. down in order. So the first bass line I thought of is my number one. The second bass line I thought of is my number two. Wow. So, so <laughs> this, is, this is the fifth bass line I thought of is right here. Uh, okay. Blood on our hands. So um, now before I move on to my next one, which I, I also ties into what you were saying, Greg, about how great the bass lines were in the uh, 80s and 90s as well. Here's one reason why I think the bass is, I'm not going to say dying, but perhaps is uh, less prominent in music today. I think a big part of it is that there are a lot fewer bands. I, I think that, that that people are are in their home. They're doing things by themselves. And I'm, I'm not talking about just mm. the pandemic. I'm talking about in general with music. hundred percent. There are a lot more 100%. people by themselves on their own. And I think when you don't have someone dedicated to the bass, yep. bass becomes an afterthought. Yep. And I think that's that's very sad because it's it's a very distinct element, you know? Yeah, and and I think, you know, when you write a bass line, right, that, that is the song. Right. Like, most songwriters are starting with guitar or piano or a vocal melody, yeah. and they're not starting with the bass. A lot of those riffs and those memorable songs come from a jamming environment, which doesn't happen anymore. 100%, because, yeah. you know, um, I so I also booked this television show and produced this television show called JBTV, um, and I did it for eight years. We booked bands on the show. They'd come in, perform, and I would interview them and they'd play live in front of a studio audience. And I booked probably 500 artists on there. And sure, some of them are old, you know, like I booked Quicksand on there. I booked Black Angels and like, you know, Arctic Monkeys. And, you know, you could tell when a real band came in mm -hmm. because there was chemistry between everybody and you can tell everybody was dedicated to their instrument yeah. and not a hired gun. Yeah, yeah. And the formula, I would say, after 2015, 2014, you know, it was really a, a an artist would make something in his bedroom. It would blow up on the internet. He would get signed. The label would either just put out what he recorded in his bedroom or have somebody mix it, and then he'd put a band together and then tour. Yeah, no, you know, and then they play JBTV. You know, yeah. And so I saw all this coming in, and it was so disheartening because it's like, 
when a real bang came in, you're like, holy shit, that's how it's supposed to feel, you right. know? And not saying that those bands are bad because they mm -hmm. wrote great songs that way, but when a real band came in, you're like, whoa, you could totally tell the difference. You know? <laughs> and, and I think perhaps they shouldn't pretend to be a real band, you know? Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah. if you are a bedroom project, let, let's say someone like, oh, first one that comes to Passion mind. Pit. Oh, Passion Pit. Passion Pit is a great example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's then stay that, you know, I, I got nothing against cuddle fuddle mm -hmm. or, or, or any, or, or what was the other one? Sleepyhead. You know, and, he, and yeah, he wrote great songs. Man. Like that first record is awesome. hundred <laughs> percent agree. Yeah. And um, so if, if that's the case, stay there because I, I actually do know a lot of friends who are like, you know, studio musicians, hired guns, etc. And it's so fun too, when you go see them live and you're like, so how much do you actually like this? And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a wide, wide, wide discrepancy. Dude, I, I, yeah. I know all about that because my, uh, the drummer from Kill Hannah is now the drummer in Kesha and Noah mm -hmm. Cyrus. There you go. So, but he loves them, you know, he right. loves playing with them and stuff and, and loves that. And then another punk rock friend of mine is now the guitarist in Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, but they love doing it because it's a, such a huge production and it's, it's part of being something you know, so big um, and influential, you yeah, know? Yeah, but, so. but I also, the other day, I saw something with, um, I'm going to forget his name. Who's the lead singer of Maroon 5? Oh, yeah. Uh, Adam Levine. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Yes, Adam Levine. I saw an, uh, an article on Stereo Gum about him where he was lamenting that there were no rock bands anymore. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, I think I saw that. And I'm like, how hard are you looking, buddy? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, when you're on The Voice and all you hear is like people that want to be stars and not in a band, yeah. like... That's yeah. that's what you're. That's his reality, right? You know? But like, and you want to hear you want to hear a funny story. Yeah, yeah, please. So my <laughs> band played four shows with Maroon Five, mm. and the headliner was Everclear. Oh wow! Oh. Everclear, Everclear, Maroon Five, Kill Hannah. Wow! Like it was so weird. It was the weirdest bill ever. I don't know how we got on it. We did like four shows. They were all like outside <laughs> festivals, like street fair shit. You know. Um, this was back before Moon Five blew up. Right. So this was on their first record when they sounded like Jamiroquai. You know? <laughs> I, I I remember working in a record store when their first album came out, and there was a sticker on the cover of the first Maroon 5 album that had a quote from Dashboard Confessional saying, <laughs> oh. um, let's see, how did it, how was it phrased? It was something along the lines of, if I wasn't making Dashboard Confessional, I'd be in Maroon 5. And then, Oh my gosh. What? The fact that you remember that yeah. from however many years ago. I wonder if he regrets that. <laughs> Do you guys remember that guy's name? Because I don't right now. Ah, oh, God, I toured with him too. We yeah. played some shows with him too. I forgot what his name was. He's a real cool guy. Yes, we but, hung out a few times. But yeah. that guy, that guy, the yeah. guy from <laughs> anyway. I want to say his name's Dan, but I don't know if that's right. I, I was wanting to say that his name was like Tyler or something. No yeah. slight against this man. I'm sure <laughs> Maybe it's Dan Tyler. I'm sure Dan he's Tyler. a perfectly <laughs> lovely dude. <laughs> I'm going to check our. Oh, no, Karabi. It's something. Chris. Chris, Chris Karaba? Kar Chris Caraba? Yeah, Chris Caraba, oh. yeah. yeah. That's it. There we go. Without Googling, without Googling. <laughs> we were I'm both still, wrong, Tara. I'm still Googling it. <laughs> well, well, oh, yeah, Chris Caraba. You're right. All right, let's let's move on. Move let's it, move, move on. It on to number four. Um, yeah. This one, I, I hope we'll all uh, uh, reminisce and get a nice pang of nostalgia. The song is Sliver by Nirvana from the 1990 single of the same name. Mom and Dad went to a show They dropped me off at Grandpa Joe's I kicked and screamed, so please 
All right. So, so this yeah, uh, later appeared one. on the uh, 1992 compilation Incesticide, but uh, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a sub pop single. You know, that's that's like what it was first. And the cool thing um, about this, uh, of course, you know, like most folks, I went through a very you know strong Nirvana phase where I learned every <laughs> bit of information I could about them. Um, this single in particular was Kurt trying to train his audience to like goofier, poppier songs because he was moving oh. from Bleach into yeah. Nevermind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, this was a single right in between where he was just like trying to like teach them, hey, I'm headed over here now. Just so you know, everybody, <laughs> you know, everyone who liked Bleach, this is where I'm headed. This is the in-between point. And I think that's, I think Kurt was so smart, you know? I mean, he's a legend for a reason. Well, other than the dying, I don't want to talk about that part. Uh, of yeah, course, yeah. <laughs> helps people become legends, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, he was so very smart and so very talented. And that's like such a, a nice, um, I'll, I'll say conniving, <laughs> conniving tactic to take to like, to kind of like meld your audience, to kind of guide them where you're headed. And uh, plus it's just a killer song, you know, especially because it starts off with that Chris Novoselic like bass part. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's so like, yeah. like Chris is so great. And, and I hated Nirvana when they oh, came out. Like wow. I was not a Nirvana fan and it took me like, 25 years <laughs> to like them. And you know how I started to like them? Huh. I had to learn the bass parts because my friends, uh, Local H, this band, they I love Local this, H. They, okay, so, so Scott Lucas lives across the street from me. We've been friends for decades. Um, but wow. um, they would, Scott, like, so Local H would form a band every year and play a Halloween show mm -hmm. and they'd be a different band on oh, Halloween. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. started this whole tradition back before anyone was doing that in the early 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And so one Halloween, they were doing Nirvana and he's like, You want to be Christmas? And I'm like, <laughs> Hell yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I was never into Nirvana, but you know, and I started listening to the bass songs. I'm like, Damn, that's really good. Yeah. It's like really simple, but really effective mm -hmm. and awesome. And memorable. And then like, yeah. I started learning more and more. And I was like, dude, this is great. Like they're so hooky. And it made me appreciate Nirvana so much more. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I can totally follow so, that. Now, now yeah. what your aversion to Nirvana, would you say that happened because they were too hard or too soft for you when they first broke on the scene? When they first, when they first came out, mm -hmm. it was just so, I, I didn't hear the hook. Mm. And and um, you know when they came out, I was all about Smashing Pumpkins. That was oh, yeah. kind of more my world. I follow you, yeah. And and um, you know, being from Chicago, of course. Mm -hmm. And I liked Alice in Chains, and I even liked Pearl Jam a little. But like, it was just like I don't know. Nirvana just annoyed me. I think I just hated Smells Like Teen Spirit. No, I, I, and, I can see that. Yeah, like, it, yeah. like perhaps the hype hit you before your actual appreciation did, so you you had no chance of catching up. You know? Yeah, I remember I traded. I, I was wor working at Toys R Us when I was like 16, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I worked with this guy, Tim, and I traded him Nirvana Nevermind because I'm like, I don't want this. And mm -hmm. he's like, I'll give you Tribe Called Quest Low End Theory because they came out on the Ooh. same day. It's a good right? trade, honestly. And I'm I feel like, like you won that deal, to be honest. And I don't regret that ever. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, because yeah. that got me way into Tribe Called Quest. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was like, and and yeah, like, <laughs> it's it's funny because I just had so much hate for Nirvana because I think, you know, it's another thing. It's like, during that time, you saw all the people that liked Nirvana. And you're like, oh, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you're, you're not like, you're not really, you know, like you like that song, but do you really like the whole band? How deep are you going? You know, like, and all that stuff. So, I mean, if I would have heard like Bleach 
And before that, there there probably would have been uh, a bit more love for them. You yeah. know, mm. no, I, yeah. I I totally follow that logic. Hype is yeah. a dangerous, dangerous thing yeah. when it comes yeah, to yeah, music. Yeah. All right, you guys ready for my number three? Because it's uh, mm-hmm. it's related. Okay. Huh. Okay. Number three, gigantic by the Pixies. Or should I just say Pixies? I'll I'll be I'll be factually correct and say yeah. Gigantic by Pixies from the 1988 album Surfer Rosa. And this I know, his teeth is white as snow. Yeah. I mean Kim Deal. Yeah. What a yes. fucking badass. Um yeah. she's a badass. Did you know that this song, Gigantic, is the only song on that album, on Surfer Rosa, where uh, Frank Black, uh, Black Francis, whatever you want to call him, um, that he actually shares the writing credit. It's the only one that he he gives her credit for actually wow. being a part oh, of the no writing way. process. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's kind of funny. My, my guess is is like it was too obvious how much work she put into it <laughs> that like he couldn't deny it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I mean. The Pixies, uh, or Pixies, depending upon how pedantic you want to be about it. Um, obviously, a huge influence on Nirvana. Nirvana said so many times. Yeah. And um, Kim Deal is one of the, the 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 most prominent bass players in my mind. And um, when I think about bass players, Kim Deal is up front and center, probably just because how much Pixies had an influence on my formative years of music and just like knowing like that's what a bass sounds like you know yeah, and you could hear it you could hear it on their mixes of their mm-hmm. albums yes. you know like and and that was I mean I think that's what separated alternative really when it when alternative really just broke right it right. was like you could hear the bass mm-hmm. that was one of the different you know like because at the time it was all hair metal and you could barely hear the bass. Right. You know? It was very and, um, tinny, mm. very up here, very like, yeah, yeah, da, da, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I Cause I mean, even... think about it, think about Metallica and uh, that, and justice for all of them. That's like everyone always like they turn down Jason Newstead and it's all drums, you yeah. know, because that's Jason Newstead's first record. And I mean, I love that album, but yeah, there's barely any bass on it. And th- that was kind of metal at the time, like bass, I mean, Cliff Burton. Before that, you could hear that in the in the the mix because he was fighting. You could hear him just fighting for room. Yeah, you know, to like fill shit in. You know, um, to be heard. And uh, you know, when he was definitely a driving force in Metallica. And you know, after he left, they're like, "All right, it's our time now." <laughs> you know? I completely agree. And yeah. uh, you know, you know what? Timeline wise. I, I didn't realize this, but my my number two, three, and four all go together. So I'm going to throw out number uh, two as well because it's it's, okay. it's around the same era. One of the most memorable bass lines, not only uh, uh, that I've ever heard, but in a nostalgic sense, I remember learning how to play this bass line and just being like, "Ooh, this feels good," you know. Like yeah, you yeah, learn yeah. a bass part and like your hands, it just feels comfortable, yeah. you know, like natural. Yes, uh, this is one that sounds great, super melodic, uh, tons of fun to play. And it was their very, very, very first single. This is Longview by Green Day. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. From their yeah. 1994 album, Dookie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean... Green Day has one of the strangest careers of any punk band I can <laughs> I can think of, but um, I definitely remember in 1994, they were the first punk band that I think 
all of my friends agreed they could like. You know what hmm. I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah. yeah, they were the most palatable punk band in the world. I'm not. I'm not sure if there is anything more agreed upon in the world of punk, right? Yeah, and I love their trajectory. Mm. You know, even the last record they put out, it doesn't sound like Green Day, and they're good songs, and they've just really, you could tell they've they've tested themselves songwriting wise, and and really put effort into evolving. Yeah. And it's really hard to do as a punk band. Oh, for you know, sure. That's really hard to do. Yeah. And uh, I feel like they're one of the few bands that have actually come out of that genre and but still are part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, th- um, think they, about a uh, contemporary of them, like uh, No Effects or something, you know, for uh, yeah. example. Yeah, I was thinking maybe something similar, but not as maybe Blink-182, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no effects in particular, though. I recently listened to an interview with uh, Fat Mike, the lead singer from them. Fat, Fat Mike's not their bass player, is he, or is he? I don't. You know, that's a good question. No, I don't yeah. know. I, I've seen them you wanna, live. You Google too. that one, Tara. Let me pull out my smartphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, in the um, store. But I remember um, listening to an interview with him, and obviously, No Effects is still very much in like the same punk realm that they've always been in. They never really, yeah. they never made a Broadway show. Actually, I take that back. Actually, Fat Mike did write a Broadway show, <laughs> but it was off Broadway, and it was about bondage. Um, what is? Are you serious? Or yeah, you I, watched, I watched I watched a documentary what? about Fat Records before, and I learned a lot about Fat Mike. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, in this Weird. interview, it was really fascinating. He was talking about he's like, yeah. He's like, because he is the bass player. Yeah. Gotcha. So so this makes perfect sense. He was saying that he's like, the best thing about punk is you don't have to play very well. He's like all the things that, that, you know, he's like, I miss chord changes all the time. (laughs) I mess up songs 24 seven, but because we're punk, we can just say we don't care and you can get away with it. It's no problem. But, but he did say the only thing that we all absolutely have to stick to. And it's a big rule in the band. You have to be in tune. That's the rule. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah. Fair enough. And that 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 could be difficult if you're playing, you know, depending how hard you play and how much, you know, like people are on stage slam dancing and stage diving and all that. Yeah. I sound so old calling it slam dancing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um but yeah, no, it, it, yeah, Green Day is a weird case, you know, but um but 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 setting aside uh Nirvana Pixies and Green Day, my number 1, we're going to jump way into into the modern day now. And this, to me, I, I think we could all probably guess who I'm headed towards here. The first bass line I could think of, and uh, perhaps the saving grace of the bass guitar in our modern world, the song is Them Changes by Thundercat from the 2015 EP, ah. The Beyond slash Where the Giants Roam. <laughs> I mean, fuck it, that, Thundercat, that, right? That yeah. is a very high fidelity pick, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really do love Thundercat. Like, like when he made He's this so good. when he made this EP, here's what he was up to, okay? He was currently playing bass on To Pimp a Butterfly, The Epic, You're Dead. And his own EP, all at the same time. So he's collaborating with Kamasi Washington, Flying Lotus, mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar, and him. Like they're the weird little quartet doing stuff. And he says that like basically all of their ideas kind of rubbed off on each other during that era. And like all four of those releases are just prime modern examples of music. And uh, what, what what I love about about him mm-hmm. is I, I play this festival. 
and I DJed in between all the bands and it was Flying Lotus and, and Thundercat was like the headliners, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he starts on and he's playing a mic and I'm watching the crowd freak out. I'm like, this guy is totally like playing jazz. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is a fucking jazz, real, this is a jazz <laughs> concert and all these kids are freaking out. I love this because he's turning, with the, whether they know it or not, he's turning <laughs> all these kids onto jazz. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And it's just like marketing, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. that, those albums could come out as jazz records. You know, 100%, like, like yeah. fusion jazz records, you know? I, I completely agree. And yeah. uh, I, I think it's, it's some good, strong work that he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then some people argue that because he plays a six-stringed bass, he's not actually playing bass. But um, who knows? Uh, he's he's a I mean he's a monster. Yeah. I mean there's like I mean he's just on a different planet. I mean that's what jazz musicians are. They're on a different planet, really. You know? Oh yeah. There's it, no concept of verse, chorus, verse, or like you know, and they're always thinking of how to like top the next change. You know, like it's it's this yeah. I can't think like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Greg, I'm very curious uh, what you're going to pick. So let's all take a break. Uh, you can go around the store, gather up your records that you're going to play as an example. And uh, yeah, we'll come right back after we have a little nice little coffee break. Let's go. Okay, we are back. We're playing the High Fidelity game. We're doing our top five bass lines. And uh, next up, we got Greg Corner. Now, Greg, you've played bass a lot. Like, more than most. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm still not that good. <laughs> um, you know, what were you talking about punk rock before? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I should have been a punk rock bass player, but I never was. Uh, I did like punk. And, um, you know, uh, the bass, I just gravitates to. And also... Uh, that's how I'm going to start, you know, my top five is kind of like the songs I gravitated me towards bass, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just all in the rock world. I'm not I'm not talking, you know, outside of the rock world like Thundercat or something. You know, there's, <laughs> there's definitely way, you know, that impressive playing and stuff like that is just a whole nother thing. Um, I'm talking about songs based on the baseline. That's mm-hmm. kind of like my top five, right? Mm-hmm. And being from Chicago, you know, the band that every band looked up to in the early 90s was Smashing Pumpkins. But I got into them on Gish, oh, which yeah, yeah. is all about bass. That whole album <laughs> is all based around real bass lines. And the song I think I first heard um, was I Am One. I was working, I wasn't working, I was, I had a radio show in high school, right? And I was a metalhead, you know, from whatever, like the, the, the late 80s until like 1991. And one of the first alternative bands I got into was Smashing Pumpkins because I was working, not working, but I had a radio show, okay? So, um, and they had these carts, right? Mm-hmm. With, um, it would just have type on it, like, the band name and you know the song and so one day i just threw this card in the player 
and played it. And I thought it sounded like Alice in Chains. So I kind of dug it. And it was Smashing Pumpkins. I am one. I mean, yes, it's written by Billy Corgan, probably. Um, Darcy <laughs> played it at the right, time. Right. Um, and we went on, my band had a re- has a, had a, a really long relationship with Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins and Jimmy. And, um, you know, he kind of took us under his wing when he, they broke up in the early 2000s. Matt and I, my singer in the band, we actually flew to London to try to convince him to um, have us open for their final shows at Metro and United Center. Wow. And our friend Chris Holmes was playing keyboards for him. Mm-hmm. So we stalked him, you know, and like, you know, uh, went to the shows and, and uh, you know, we asked him and he's like, oh, you know, we're going to be doing just us. We're not going to have any openers. We're playing for like over three hours. And we're like, oh, okay, we understand, you know. He was really cool about it. Um, and then he was like, he let us pick the set list that night. Oh, you know? that's uh, killer. Which is kind of cool, you yeah. know. And uh, so he put like Drown on the set list for, you know, because I'm like, oh, I want to hear Drown, you know. And, uh, you know, not every song, but he's like, give me some songs. You know, I was like, I am one. <laughs> he's like, no, we're not playing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, they, they've always had a special place in my heart. And, uh, you know, my band wound up uh, touring with them um, back in 2010 or 2011. And then both of us played Metro, which is like our, the, one of the best venues in the world. It's in Chicago. And um, it was just such a monumental uh, night because it was like, we actually have the record um, for playing Metro the most times in history. Wow. They're like 50 times or something. Wow. That's and, cool. And pumpkins are up there too, but they kind of graduated. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. We just kept playing there. Um, so, uh, but both of us in that venue playing, it, it was awesome. Uh, so yeah, always a special place in my heart for uh, Smashing Pumpkins and Billy Corgan. Yeah. Uh, Darcy is a friend of a friend of mine. And okay. I get to hear so many amazing Darcy stories. I, I've never <laughs> met her, never spoken to her, but like um, a friend of I don't, mine. I don't think I've met her. I haven't met her either. She, um, yeah. I, I, uh, this is this is all secondhand. So I'm just going to throw in the word allegedly here. She runs like a goat farm or something now, living that yeah. awesome farm life. Like, yeah, yeah. Nice. So she had a farm with a studio on it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, back in the '90s, with like a lot. Of, I think a lot of the scratchy artists would record there. Mm, there you go. Um, and she was married to my friend now, Carrie Brown. Oh, cool. Who was in the band Catherine? Gotcha, gotcha. So I think they started that together, and then once they got divorced, the studio was kind of like his. So I think he left, mm. and then Wasn't- she. She just raised goats. Wow. Didn't she, was she also married to someone from, uh, wait, okay. I always confuse the bands. There's a psychedelic band from the six, six, 60s and this 90s band that did the, the Peaches song, Lump. Oh, United uh, oh. States Presidents of the United States Presidents of America. Of the, okay. Yeah. But there's also a 60s band. It's like Presidents of the United States of America or something like that also. So I always, it was like, wait, which one am I about to say? <laughs> Yeah, was, didn't she? Wasn't I, she with that guy too? No, I don't, know. I don't think so. Oh. I don't, not that I know. Of. Yeah, she could be, but yeah, yeah I've never heard that. Yeah. Google huh. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, 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 great choice. I, I also yeah. love the pumpkins. I definitely they. they um, if I had to pick, I think they might be my first favorite band. 
which is um, something very awesome. impressive because like obviously you hear all kinds of stuff like when you're young, young and you're like, oh, I like the Beatles now and I like the Rolling Stones and I like Pink Floyd. But this because the Smashing Pumpkins were actually actively happening while I was a child, you know, I was like, oh, that's my band. Like I pick them, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to follow <laughs> their career. And uh, no, I, I mean... I don't know uh, how people uh, uh, choose to follow their bands, but I, I, I've still, I still pick up their CDs. I just picked up uh, uh, Seer, the C Y R one. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Me too. There's some good songs on it. Absolutely, yeah. and, and it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just fun to hear what they're doing now. You know, yeah. it's good. good and it's music. great. To, it's great to have Jimmy back in the band too. I think you know. I, yeah. I mean, Mikey, who who was in the band when we were touring with him, was phenomenal. The kid was like eighteen or nineteen, and he just ripped and played. <laughs> You know, as good as Jimmy, but Jimmy just like, it's Jimmy, you yeah. know, like he's just an amazing drummer and, you know, he's a jazz guy too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have them back too, uh, with, you know, James as well. So, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, um, definitely nothing for me. Gish is the, is my record though. Cause that's when I first got into him and, and Siamese Dream is amazing too. I went to the, uh, opening shows that are recorded and everything, um, at Metro when that came out in like 93. Um, and yeah, I mean, Green Day too, another band. Um, I got into them during Kerplunk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when they released that, um, uh, the Dookie album, I was like, what? Huh? They're on Warner Brothers? <laughs> right. When the hell did they get signed to Warner <laughs> Brothers? Yeah. You know, like I was like so shocked. Yeah. And then I'm like, they got a music video? Like, yeah. Because they were playing it like <laughs> a, a bar down the street, not down the street, but like, in the in the suburbs yeah. called McGregor's in Chicago, yeah. you know, before that, and it was like, and they went to parties that I was at, you know, like, and it's just so weird that like, like, and they're they're you know they blew up and like it's awesome because I, I I think I think Dookie's a great record too, you know, mm -hmm. but that's not as my that's not my number yeah. four. Well, can <laughs> um, we talk? Yeah, I just want to say I actually learned. Um, I think was it uh, is it Bullet with Butterfly Wings that song? I learned that when I was a teenager. When the one with the, the world so is a cool. vampire, that one. Uh, yeah, dun, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 that baseline. That, that, yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. Cool. That, that baseline. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because I was a girl bass player in the '90s, which there are a lot of them. Uh, well, it's n there's not a lot of them, but the '90s you can just you're like you know pixies it was a thing. smashing pumpkins. It was a thing, <laughs> it was a thing right? Like it was a thing. Yeah. This conversation came up at work recently. Someone was like, "Oh, it, you know, it's just an observation. Why is it all women?" Why is the thing like to be a bass player and a woman in a band in the nineties or whatever? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know if it is, is a thing or is it just that we know these like three giant bands that had that same format, which is like Sonic Youth, Pixies and Smashing Pumpkins. Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, there was also the Breeders where it was like more women in the front of the band. Yeah. I don't know. Is it like, is it just a thing or is it, that it's just those three bands that we all really know and they all just came out in the 90s. Is it a thing? There, there had to at least been some progression happening at the time. I mean, like, let's not give all credit to Lilith Fair, but Lilith Fair was at least <laughs> a result right. of, like, the world being like, you know, equality is pretty cool, right? And then, like, people at least toying yeah. with the idea of gender equality, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I think also those bands that you just mentioned broke down the walls, right? Mm. And and they became popular, so other bands were like, oh, we got to have the girl bass player or, mm -hmm. you know, some a, a female in the band to add dynamic and sex appeal and whatever the case was. And labels were looking at that, too, as a way to sell the bands and all that stuff. Right. Um, but it also... You know, with that probably came a lot of 
shit for the women in rock and roll then too. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Kim, yeah, Kim Gordon talks sure. about that a lot in her book, yeah. uh, Girl in the Band. Yeah. 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 I read that, but I don't remember any. Mostly it's her just talking that. about how like, like actually the, the title of the book really is kind of the point. But and not also really. Her, her lyric. Oh, you're, so you're saying just like being a girl in the band, not being like a bassist. I'm talking about how it was like the number one question that everyone always asked her. And like, like the lyric says, like, what's it like yeah. to be a girl in a band? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I thought you were talking about like her specifically being a female bassist, but you're, yeah. I mostly just mean like, yeah. unfortunately, the media at that time and probably still to this day is still pretty sexist. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And I, like the oh, questions yeah. they're asking the female artists and versus the male artists are like, it's, it's night and day. It's so dumb. Right. You know, like yeah. they're asking them like total materialistic shit <laughs> and it's like so stupid, you know? Yeah. I mean, they even do it to pop stars, which is just aggravating, mm-hmm. you know? I will say that I think there's probably something there though. Like you said, maybe it broke down a wall because I then also picked up a bass yeah. uh, in the nineties, probably likely inspired by those women. Um, and so yeah, I wonder, I, I don't know. It's just, a, it was an interesting conversation that we had. Um, since you brought up Smashing Pumpkins, I thought I would bring it yeah. up here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, speaking um, of which, that was your number five. How about your that number was my four? Number five. And that song wouldn't have been written mm-hmm. if Smashing Pumpkins never played a show with Jane's Addiction. Ah. So before Smashing Pumpkins was a goth band, okay? And then they played with Smashing Pumpkins, I believe, on the Nothing Shocking tour when they came to Metro. And after that, that's when the direction of the band totally changed. And so my number four is Jane's Addiction Mountain Song. And this album, Nothing Shocking, Eric Avery on bass, you can tell a lot of these songs were written around his bass lines Mm -hmm. and them probably jamming because they were definitely kind of like one of those jam bands. Right, right. And and definitely a live thing, you know. And um, Mountain Song is just such, I mean, that was one of the first songs I learned on bass too. It's just so uh, defining, you know. And and, uh, it's just an anthem, really. You know, the the word that comes to mind is declarative, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. projecting. It's saying yeah. yes, you know? And yeah. uh, in that same way, I actually uh, lump him in with Flea a lot, too. I think Flea is another bass player that, like, declares. It's like saying, I'm playing the fucking bass. <laughs> yeah. You're well, listening and, and, to it. <laughs> and Flea's definitely obnoxious about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? he'll, he'll I noodle. mean, Flea's amazing. He's he, amazing. He's a you noodler. Know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely a noodler. Um, you know, and, and in your face, you know, which is cool. No Red Hot Chili Peppers didn't make any of my top five. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I do think Flea is a great bass player. Yes. Um, yes. You know, um, so I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else to say. I mean, Jane's Addiction to me are the, they opened up um, alternative to me. If it wasn't for Jane's Addiction and throwing Lollapalooza in 91, mm-hmm. they paved the way for Nirvana to happen, Smashing Pumpkins to happen, yeah. you know, Pearl Jam to happen, all that. And I remember going to Lollapalooza in 91 and I was just in the metal at the time. And I went to see Living Color because they were on the bill. Right. And my brother's friends were all into Jane's Addiction they're like, you guys stick around for this band. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. So Living Color plays. 
And then Nine Inch Nails comes out. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? This is awesome. You right, know? right. And yeah. then Jane's Addiction comes on and I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And none of these bands are on the radio, right? Right. Except for maybe Living Color. And this was before like, like I think even before uh, Been Caught Stealing was mm -hmm. like all over MTV, right? Right. And there was 25,000 people sold out with none of these bands on the radio. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I never saw anything like it, you know? And it totally, like, after that, you know, I was still into metal, but it was definitely starting to shift, you know, towards uh, alternative music, you know? So mm -hmm. gotta, gotta, gotta give Perry Farrell some fucking love for that, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, Lollapalooza brought the alternative into the mainstream, you know? Like, like with, without yeah. him and without that festival, I mean... The fucking Simpsons made a Lollapalooza episode. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was a very important event to oh, let yeah. the rest of the world know what was happening in the underground and actually bring yeah. that underground above ground. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was just you know that was the time. And and to think that nothing shocking came out in 1987 is just wild. Nuts, yeah, you know, hundred percent. Like so ahead of their time. Like it, it especially was if you think about the other groups that released yeah 1987 albums. Yeah, and then same thing with uh, with uh, um, Surfer Rosa, the the, uh, yeah, the Pixies exactly. album. Yeah. It's like that that was a uh, 88, and it's like yeah, holy shit, 88. Yeah. But like fucking, you know, um, Cindy Lauper was still yeah. like yeah. bopping around. And dude, hair metal and Poison and Motley Crue. That's the shit I was listening to in yeah. 87. Yeah, you know, and like. That was really an important year for alternative music, though, too. Because, mm -hmm. like, Sisters of Mercy released Floodland. You know, like, there was a ton of great alternative records that came out in 87, actually, that were just kind of under the radar at time and didn't get really appreciated, I think, until later. Yeah. Well, and you know? speaking of, like, alternative music that, you know, kind of we're trickling in from the 80s and then we go into the 90s and, it's, you know, we have that whole thing. 120 minutes is such a huge thing for yeah. all three of us. I know yeah. um, Greg has this amazing Twitch stream on Monday nights and I'm always there. And now, in fact, I'm the moderator because yeah. I'm always there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, last night he was just talking about like baselines and how he was saying, oh, I'm, I love, uh, you know, Jane's addiction, blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it's funny that you have this on your list today. Oh yeah. I mean, I was we thinking about that about it. as yeah. I was like, you know, DJing all the stuff for 120 minutes. I'm like, you know, I have all the bands I want. Cause you know, it was like you, it was the first, the first things that came to mind, I wrote down. Right. You right. know? Yeah. And so then I put them in order, Yeah, which was yeah. really hard, you know, cause there's so much <laughs> that I left out, you know, definitely, you know, being a bass player and like, you know, you're like thinking about all, all, everything you want to represent. That is you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's almost too, like, we could do this top five baselines per genre, like funk. Oh, yeah. There's so many amazing baselines. Disco, yeah. even jazz. Like we're leaving yeah. out so much. We could yeah. even, like break it down by instruments. Be like, you know, piano yeah. baselines, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. We, we could go pretty wild with this. Yeah. yeah. We'll have but, to go know, over I, our I just, short list later. Hmm. I mean, the, the, I'm, uh, it's great that we're talking about this today because I just like, once again, like I feel like the bass in the last 10 years has not gotten a lot of love. Yeah. And, and I think that's what needs to happen again. You know, um, if I talk to Billy again, I'm going to tell him like, dude, start writing songs around bass. <laughs> you know? um, well, I guess right like, now I they're working on um, the follow-up, the sequel to their trilogy of the sad, the melancholy trilogy. Dude, you know what I'm talking let, about? Let me, 
let me tell you something about Billy. <laughs> yeah. Billy is a workaholic, right? Uh -huh. So we're in Chicago. We're recording our demo for the song Kennedy that wound up getting us a record deal, right? So mm -hmm. we're in CRC. We're in the small studio. He's in the big studio. So we're like, what's he doing here? And they're like, I don't know. Like our, our engineer was like, you want to go down there and you know say hi to him? Because we already knew him at the time somewhat. Mm -hmm. So we go down there and he's like, hey guys, I'm like, hey, where do you, what are you doing? He's like, uh, I don't know. I'm just recording 10 songs in 10 days about 10 girls. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, and he plays me the songs and they're awesome. And they never came out. I never heard any of the songs ever. What? Like, and that's the way Billy is. He's always working, always yeah. writing. And he is a workaholic, man. Like, well, and he yeah. loves music. It's, it's killer. <laughs> I, I I look forward to whenever he's doing something because it's it's always interesting. And uh, uh, but yeah, I, I remember one of the lines was "Candy come calling, candy come calling for love" or something like that. What? And I'm like, I never heard that in a song ever again. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but he was just like, I think he was just trying different things and challenging himself. You know. Now, I mean, I wonder if he sold any of those songs to other people because right. he's got he's like Prince, right? Like right. he's just got tons of stuff. And he's got a home studio and everything. So, yeah. Um, all right, moving on, mm -hmm. moving on. So the next band is, I mean, a really important band. <laughs> um, they, I, I don't even know how you d describe their sound because they're they're more than punk. They're more than post-punk. They're more than alternative. It is Fugazi, okay? Fugazi Waiting Room. So that is my that is my you know uh, pick for number three. I mean, they are probably one of the most important bands because they were just DIY and the epitome of credibility. You know, they um, released everything themselves. I saw Fugazi twice for five dollars. Right. You know, like yeah. and. I remember going to the show and seeing people from Smashing Pumpkins there and like, you know, all the Chicago bands were there and like all influenced by them. And, and they were just so, you can't, they're, they're their own genre almost, you know, like nobody sounds like Fugazi. Yeah. You know, and Waiting Room is such a anthem, man. Like, like it, it's like, you could play that for punks. You can play that for metal. You can play that for like anybody. And it's like, that's that's a fucking great song. 100. Yeah. percent I, I also remember that um, if if I'm remembering this correctly, I might I might be getting this wrong in my head. In my memory, there's a very prominent use of that sample of that bass line in a girl talk song where he where a girl talk puts Rihanna over that bass line. And I remember huh. a lot of my friends going, "What's that bass line?" I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> we're in luck. You you're gonna have a great day today because we're listening to Fugazi, you know." <laughs> And, um, let me let me blow your mind for an hour. Yeah, because <laughs> here's the here's the great thing about Fugazi to me is that um, they are kind of genreless, like you said. But I feel like they give you the best elements of hardcore. They give you the best yeah, elements yeah. of punk. They give you yep. the best elements of rock and roll. Like they they yeah. are just like the cream of the crop in every genre, all compiled into one. And man, oh man, I just love how much of a always correct but curmudgeonly character Ian Mackay is. Yeah. Like yeah. like he's he is kind of a jerk, but he's always right. <laughs> so you yeah. can't really call him a jerk because he's right. And talk about ahead of ahead of his time. Always. You know, like Yeah. Yeah. I mean, god. 
And 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 you know, he saw all the problems with the music industry yes. in the early eighties. And he was and trying was to like, solve them before they had yeah. even like become a problem yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah. He's like like fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw all how the corporate interests were getting in every facet of rock and roll. Yeah. And yeah. that's why he never made merch too. Mm-hmm. You know? Like he didn't want to support the companies that were actually making the shirts, probably. You know, he, and it was so like, smart. I love yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you really can't say anything bad about him now. Right. I mean, even then, like, it's no. like he was just untouchable. You know, everyone had respect for him. Right. I mean, because there, I, I, there are a lot of blowhard assholes in the music industry, but when they're correct, they aren't assholes, you know. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're they're just people who who have a very strong opinion, and that opinion is correct. So yeah, yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, Fugazi, Love you it. know, Washington D.C. Represent. Um, I keep waiting for us to have some sort of overlap, but I'm surprised oh, it hasn't coming. happened yet. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna come. It's coming, Tara. Um, okay. And yeah, I don't. Did you guys read that um, Beastie Boys book? Yes. Like, how awesome was it to hear? It's so good. When the BC Boys went to see Bad Burn, or no, they went to see Black Flag, and Henry Rollins was in the crowd, and he came up there with all the Discord guys, which was Ian McKay, mm-hmm. and they it was the first time they ever saw people mosh and slam dance and everything, and it was those guys doing it, you know, <laughs> and that was like in '81, and it's just like wow, like that that was like the equivalent of all those bands going to see the Sex Pistols in 24-Hour Party People, like right. the movie, yeah. that was the punk rock version, you yeah. know, like <laughs> in America, um, which was, it, it was just awesome. It's also so, funny too, because that event of the very popular band in their early days playing for very few people and everyone in that audience is a prominent person, it seems to happen for nearly every band. Because just the other day, um, I was reading an article in Maggot Brain about uh, the White Stripes in 1999. I'm sorry to bring up the White Stripes again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, this I, Jack White is great, by the way. I love Jack White. <laughs> and this photographer just happened to be there documenting this like local show that was happening. And in the photos, you can see a very young Brendan Benson just standing in the crowd looking up at Jack White. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like adorable. Yeah. Like, Wait, isn't... So, but that's then they awesome. play together, right? Yeah, in the now they're in the Okay, together. that's what I was, I was yeah. like, wait a second. So, like, that's how funny. cute is that? That, like, little Brendan Benson in the crowd of, like, a, uh, this is a 1990s White Stripes show, just looking up at Jack White on the stage. And maybe they already knew uh, each other. Maybe they didn't. Yeah, maybe they were friends. But just yeah, being like, you know, there's, yeah. uh, um, there's footage of Nirvana playing the Metro. Mm-hmm. And L- Scott Lucas from Local H is in the front row. That's awesome. It's a Nirvana. I love it. It's, it's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I think I'm not saying that people who love music are better than other people. But what I am saying is that people who love music are always on the bleeding edge before something becomes something because yeah. they're very active in seeking it out. You know, it's mm-hmm. and I, I think that's very, very important. I, I think yeah, yeah. I think music fans are one of the most important aspects of music because they do all the legwork, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just digging deep, you know, yeah. like and and. What I really miss uh, about the time that we all grew up in is, you know, when you loved a band, you wore that symbol on your arm and you would fight somebody for that and you would get in fights for the bands that you love, right? you know, and you would know everything about them because you didn't want to be called a poser and you wanted, (laughs) you know, you, you wanted to know 
mm-hmm. not just for you, but like, you know, if I got into a band, I'd want to know who their influences are. And then I'd go back right. and, 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 you know, and discover those bands. And that's just not really happening now. Like music is so disposable. Right. Um, and a lot of the fans are just like flavor of the month, you know, uh, or flavor of the week, really. Um, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's disheartening because I feel like that is rock and roll culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's it's definitely um, dwindling, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's um, why I like vinyl, though, is so that I can still have that something something tactile, something that I can play that's not you know streaming somewhere, and I can look at the liner notes and I can look at the album art and all of that and, and appreciate that kind of like thing again. And it's yeah. going to be with even you, even though it's like I hardly have time to do that because when I'm not at my computer, which is like all the time now, thanks to the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not, you know, I'm probably watching TV or something. I don't know. Or DJing who knows. Yeah. But yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that having that physical product, like that was, that took weeks to save up for when we were kids. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so even if the album sucked, you would just listen to it right? because <laughs> you paid for it and you would like grow to like it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you would at least definitely like a- does. You would, you would take the time to learn about it, even if yeah. you didn't end up liking it. Like, like I still have quite a few albums in my collection where I'm just like, why did I ever buy this? Why don't I get rid <laughs> yeah. of this? But, <laughs> but no, it, it's still it's still just sitting there. And every time I've moved from an apartment into a house You're or whatever, it, yeah. I put it in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I unpacked yeah. it. I alphabetized it and put it on a shelf yeah. uh, because yeah. I like, bought it, you know? Yeah, that's like me getting accidentally getting for from BMG uh, Music Club, the oh, meat, God, like a meatloaf those. CD oh, and keeping it and still yeah. listening to it, you know, right. after the fact, like what, I didn't want this. And then I listened to it and now I can like name songs from a meatloaf CD. At, at yeah, least it's yeah. like, like, why? Yeah. You know what of, you think about meatloaf now though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I mean, the amount of CDs I got from Columbia House and BMG are ridiculous. Yeah. And and everyone's like, oh, it's such a steal. And like, no, they were fucking ripping you off. Right. Like, to, to produce those CDs cost nothing, you know? It, it was basically um, the same business model as like a gym. They're hoping you forget about it, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, I don't think I ever actually paid. You can do the trial and just get a giant stack and then you just don't ever pay. Because it's not like... I don't know. I was a kid. Like, there's no way they're going <laughs> to yeah, come yeah. after Come me. and get me, creditors. Come and get yeah. me. <laughs> but yeah, having that physical product is is a good reminder of that culture, you know? And and um, I'm glad that vinyl is taking off again because I think that is important for the culture, you know? For sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, um, I don't know if I said this before, but I live less than a block from the original High Fidelity store. Oh, nice. Um, where, where they filmed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I live... 50 feet from Reckless Records, which a lot of that store was based on. So so what so. is currently in the storefront where the movie would t- took place? What is that now? Okay. It was vacant for so long. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry because I was, um, I'm best friends and old DJ partners actually with Derek Barry, who put together the Saved by the Bell pop-up restaurant. Gotcha. Yes. Um, in Chicago and LA. And he did a bunch of these, you know, pop-up experiences. He did the Saved by the Bell one in Chicago and it took off. And I started talking to him because that space was vacant. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, let's open it for a day on record <laughs> store day and open it as a record store like High Fidelity and get somebody from High Fidelity from the movie to do it. Yeah. And he's like, holy shit, that's awesome. You know, so we're yeah. working on it and that space got rented out that week mm. by, a, by a, um, it's, it's a, a, a bicycle cafe. Like it's this, 
um, like cyclist cafe, but not even a cool one. It's like a corporate one, you know? Wow. And I don't know how it's still there. Right. Like through the pandemic, it's still there. I'm like, what the, who would like, this has got to be some kind of tax write-off or something or right. they're embezzling money or drug dealing. Like, some sort of how is that? Yeah. How does that survive in Wicker Park in, you know, 2020? Like, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> but that would be an amazing pop-up. I mean, I, I would yeah. love to oh, see yeah. that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would be awesome in the same building. Like it would be yeah. so good if I would do that. If I got to and pick uh, someone from the movie, I would want Tim Robbins like every hour on the <laughs> no. hour to come in, ask you know whatever, whatever, ask for something, and then get then get yelled at and has to leave every hour on the hour. You get to see Tim Robbins show up and yeah. get yelled at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we definitely we probably couldn't afford Jack Black uh, or, or uh, you know John Cusack, but I mean, I would uh, settle for the guy who looks like Moby. Yeah, yeah, yeah that guy's great. Exactly. That guy's great. He's fun. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, I guess we should move on before, you know, uh, we run out of time here. Um, so my number two pick is one of my favorite bands of all time, um, The Cure and Fascination Street. Great choice. So yeah. that's probably, that might be cutting into you, Tara. Um, but you know, um, that baseline is just, and, and a lot of cure baselines are amazing. Simon Gallup's probably my number two bass player. Um, just cause I mean, I don't know if, you know, Robert Smith wrote the baselines or they did within jamming, but they're so iconic and there's so many mm -hmm. great ones And fascination yeah. street. is just a, just a cool song, man. And it just grows and it's the same thing over and over. The, the baseline forest, never yeah. changes, you know? But it's just awesome, and you never get sick of it. Yeah, yeah. there are yeah. so many good Cure baselines. Yeah, like yeah, they're so um, good. That was definitely one of my favorite shows of the last five years. I flew out to LA and saw the, um, you know, the anniversary shows that they did, and they played for like three and a half hours. And yeah, it was like, they played all the songs I'd never heard them play before. It's like yeah, yeah, yes, you know. Yeah, same. Was, I saw them like probably around the same time, and they did like. Five encores. Yeah, yeah. And they did played you see them Burn. In did no, you go to Austin? Oh, no, okay, it, okay. they played in Atlanta actually. Okay, okay. Um, but when they played Burn, I was like, "Oh my god, oh, what?" Yeah. Like, I was not expecting them to play that, yeah, and it was yeah. so epic. Yeah, so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I don't know if you heard me tell this story on uh, 120 minutes or not, but um, Matt and I, you know, going out to London to see um, the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, we get invited to the after party and the after party is in this small hotel lobby. Um, and it maybe fits 50 people. Okay. And so we go in the lobby and it's like Gary Newman's there. The singer Republic is there. And then we see Robert Smith and the cure hanging out like, and they're all there for this after party. So me and Matt like are shitting in our pants. Cause like the cure is like, you know, our favorite fan. Right. And we're like freaking out. We're like, oh shit, we're going to meet Robert Smith tonight. Oh my God. You know? So we sit down and we start talking to the singer of Republica. And she was dating this guy at the time, Chris McCormick, who was in the band Three Colors Red. And we really bonded with him. And he actually, when he came to Chicago, like he we hung out with him. He booked us on our final show in London because um, he books a, a venue out there now, but awesome guy. 
And then we started talking to Gary Newman and his wife, and it's like going all great. And then Chris Holmes comes in, our friend, and he's with Heather Graham, and they're on <laughs> mushrooms running around. And we're like, oh my holy gosh. shit, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? And then the guy from... Uh, was randomly there from bare naked ladies, like on the other <laughs> side of the bar and came in. We're like, what the fuck? And so we go to the bathroom and, and Matt and I are like, how are we going to do this? You know, blah, blah. And then we hear somebody puking in the toilet and we turn around and it's Robert Smith puking in the toilet. <laughs> oh my God. And, and the keyboard player holding his head up. Oh. And we're like, Oh my God, we're not going to, it's not going to happen. Fuck. You know, no. but that story enough was great. And then wow. later on, we wound up meeting Robert Smith through Billy Corgan um, at Smart Bar in Chicago. So it was all good. Yeah. But, oh my God. Um, that was, that was uh, uh, totally like heartbreaking because it was such a, you know, like, holy shit, you know, we're in London. We're going to meet the cure, you know? Oh my um, God. Man, just picture but, Robert yeah. Smith you know, kneeling over a toilet is just such an odd visual, but like I'm oh, picturing dear. his hair and his hair kind of like, you know, kind of dipping down <laughs> a bit too truth, much. I, I'm so glad that happened. I'd rather have that than, you know, that's a real yeah. experience. It's a that's funny a story. Experience, you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Number um, one. Number one. So another band from the UK. Um, and it includes my favorite bass player of all time. Uh, Joy Division. <sighs> Love will tear us apart. Peter Hook yeah. is one of the first bass players to make the bass the lead instrument, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's just a killer riff. Like, so many of the New Order bass lines are amazing and melodic. And, you know, Joy Division, it's all based around the bass lines. It's just awesome. Like, he is just the, the dude, you know? <laughs> the dude. The, the dude. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't I can't say uh, enough about Peter Hook. I've, I've DJed with him a few mm -hmm. times. Uh, met him a few times and he's awesome and it's great and yeah I, I, I don't know what else to say about uh, New Order and Joy Division and I mean they're just one of the best I, I will say this though I I them as a live act I was never blown away with but when I saw them without Peter Hook mm -hmm. it was really like the rock and roll was sucked out of it Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah, I could see um, that. Yeah. Peter Hook is the rock and roll element of New Order, even though the songs still sound good now mm -hmm. and they're playing them well, but like he is the edge, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and not the not the guitarist, the edge, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do love I do love you too, though. I, I am one of uh, like, one of the shirt. few people that I'm wearing, are you wearing a U2 shirt? Yes. Yeah. Like the, the Joshua I mean, Tree. Oh, you know, you know how you could tell if you're over 40, you like you too. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> That's when all the good stuff happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, U2 is also another band that I thought about like putting on the list, but mm -hmm. uh, these are the bass lines that kind of influenced me as a bass player and, uh, you know, made me, I guess, want to play bass. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll so. tell you the sixth uh, bass line I thought of was uh, She's Lost Control. That, yeah, that was yeah. that was the sixth awesome. one on my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get more to our short lists later. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Joy, Joy Division as just uh, as an entity 
is so bass heavy and I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. And and really influential, I think, on all the bands of the indie rock resurgence. Yeah. And you know, the like Gang yeah. of Four and Joy Division. It was like everybody was trying to be them. Oh yeah. Know? I mean mm-hmm. look at Interpol. Inter- yeah, Inter- yeah, Interpol exactly. would not exist without Joy Division, period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um I, another <laughs> another funny story. So my band was touring with She Wants Revenge. Mm-hmm. And um, every night my singer would introduce the band, you know, like, hey, thanks to She Wants Revenge for taking us to her. And I would always play like a, a riff, mm-hmm. you know? And I started playing this, uh, the digital riff from Joy Division Digital, right? Right, right. Dun, 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 you know? And um, I get off stage on the second night and I was I knew Adam because I DJed with him before, Adam 12, who was the bass player in She Wants Revenge. Um, but Justin comes up and he's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And I go, <laughs> what? And he's like, Dude, are you making fun of us up there? I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, dude, I, I'm like, I'm like, no. He's like, I hear you playing the Joy Division rush. Everyone's like comparing us to Joy Division. We're not like Joy Division. I'm like, oh, dude, I, I thought you were influenced by them. Like, it was just a pay like homage to you, you know? Like, I don't, you know, like, I, I got, I'm not trying to make fun of you guys at all. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, if anything, if I played an Interpol riff, then it would be like slapping you in the face, you know? Like, and and then like, you know, like. We kind of like got through that and then we became like great friends after that. Right. But it was like the initial reaction was like hostility, wow. like, you know, right <laughs> off the bat. Uh, but yeah, he's great. He's, he's great. That guy, if you can get, if you can talk to him, like, oh man, his story is amazing. He grew up in LA and had parents that were in the music industry. He went to parties with like Brooke Shields and Michael Jackson. And then he was on Saved by the Bell as like an actor. What? As like an extra. <laughs> and then oh like gosh. he had a, a full on hip hop career. Wow. Like in the early 90s. And what? like I, I played some of it on 120 Minutes. I'll, I'll play it again. Yeah. Wow. He had a, yeah. a hip hop career um, on, on like a major label and stuff. Like he made music videos and he was in this outfit called Bomb the Bass too out of the UK. And then it wasn't until like 10 years after that, that he started She Wants Revenge. Wow. wow. So his his story is just insane. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But solely sidetracked. Sorry about that. No, no, Tara, no. no. <laughs> Tara, we haven't forgotten about you. Yeah. I want to hear what your top five, you know. I, I loved uh, your list, Greg. That was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Uh-huh. And uh, I actually totally forgot about Joy Division as having like really epic bass lines too. And yeah. I'm just mad at myself for it. Well, you don't honest. look, you don't, when you listen to Joy Division, the thing is, most people don't even know. Like when they listen to Joy Division, they don't know that's the bass doing that. Yeah, you know, that's and true. you, you kind of don't think of the bass doing that, like that that kind of sound and that kind of lead and driving a song. Mm-hmm. So when you hear it, you don't think of it as a bass line. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, it, actually, kind of in the same way of uh, Death from Above, yeah, 1979, yeah. where yeah. you mm-hmm. don't think of that as the bass because yeah, yeah. it is the primary yeah. element. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, anyway, I'm very curious what Tara's going to have for us. Yeah. So let's uh, take another quick little coffee break. Uh, everyone split up. Terry, go gather your records and uh, we'll finish this off. in the middle of the high fidelity game i've gone greg has gone it's tara's turn to tell us all about that base please (laughs) (laughs) fill us in it doesn't get old it doesn't get old um well i'll just start out by saying i really wanted to make it make my list not bands that are just like huge mega super bands Mm -hmm. like no tool no things like that although 
you'll hear some that are pretty popular in my list, but I try to keep it. Um, so you want to like turn people on to like some new new bands? It's maybe. not new. Uh, okay. Or no, the, not new bands, yeah. but like turn people on to, to new music to them. Yeah, I just wanted okay. to, it's like I wanted to highlight the unsung heroes in okay. a way. Good, good. Um, although some are not un, not unsung heroes, if that makes sense. But yeah, well, you'll see. All right, so <laughs> starting out, <laughs> number five from 2011, actually. The band is Corner Shop. The song is Natch. Yeah, it's just like the funkiest track ever. I love it so much. Um, you know Corner Shop? Do you guys know Corner Shop? I know Corner Shop. Yeah. I don't know that song though. Me either. I don't, I don't that yeah. I, I feel like if you heard it, maybe you would know it. Um I mean, of course I know Brimful of Asha, but you know. Yeah, and Top <laughs> it's I think the same Same I think, record. No, Top Knot is another hit that they had. And I think it was on I think that one was on this album. The okay. album is Corner Shop and the Double O Groove of. Hmm. Um and supposedly, like, John Peel played this album on repeat all the time. Hmm. Um, Do you mean, yeah, like, it's so good. at home personally? Like, that kind of played it on uh, repeat? I think, yeah, played, yeah, like, personally played it on repeat, but I don't know if he played it in, on, like, Peel Sessions, like, his show right. or anything. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a fan, a Corner Shop fan. Um, and I, I actually don't know. I think the bassist in the song is James Milne, but it could have been the Jindal guy too because hmm. he also played bass so i don't i don't actually know who played bass on this song but yeah it's really great um okay moving on to i don't know you know more about corner shop than me yeah, so no. i don't i don't know I, you're i'm out of my element here like, I, I, I also um, have nothing to contribute i'm very sorry <laughs> <laughs> ha, the tables have turned <laughs> um, you win you win <laughs> Well, I'll just add too that you know they their influence as well because of their culture. Punjabi music is very strong influence of their music, um, and you can hear a lot of that. And I don't know, I don't know, like I don't remember any basslines in any like Bollywood kind of movies, like off the top of my head. Hmm. But now I'm curious. Like I think I might go back and listen to some Bollywood to see, like, does it line up? But I think. It's it's just really funky. Um, I don't know. Kind of reminds me of like D-Light in a way. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's so good. Okay. I'm skipping to number four now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so number four from 2002. And we've actually talked about this band a lot already, but it wasn't in anyone's list. Um, and this song is Obstacle One oh. by Interpol. Yeah, from the album Turn on the Bright Lights. Love it. The bassist is Carlos, uh, Carlos Andres Diggler, Dingler. Dingler. Just, Just call him Carlos, Carlos D. That's what, that's, D. That's what everyone called him. Um, which is it's interesting because I read that he was pretty heavily influenced by Duran Duran. And I mean, this comes up again later, I'll, hmm. I'll say. 
I'll, I'll also say that I, I like where you're, I like where you're going with it. <laughs> and I, I think Carlos D was actually very important to that band. Um, I, yeah. I've, I've followed the whole trajectory of their career. And um, when he left the band, they definitely lost something. I'm not saying they're a bad band now, but he was important. He was very important to their sound. Yeah, like their their almost rock and roll sensibility, mm-hmm. like their the rawness, the edge, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of like Peter Hook leaving New Order. It, yeah. it was kind of similar. You know. It's uh, I, it's it's an I'd important element, that. perhaps in that kind of music, that in that that kind of you know, because obviously I, I think everyone in the world has said Interpol is very similar to Joy Division. Yeah. So it is kind of strange that they also mirror that, and that when the bass player leaves, they yeah. lose an important element of their band. So, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, another thing too, I, I would like to mention is like just chemistry, right? Right. So Carlos D might not have written those bass lines. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. he did, maybe he didn't, right? But when you're in a band, and you guys know this because you're in bands, like there's a filter, right? Mm-hmm. And when that singer or the songwriter in the band comes up with something, the rest of the people there are going to be, that sucks, that's good. Right. right, right. And when you eliminate those people, yeah, a lot of the shit starts getting through right yeah and 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 the band can get worse yeah. you know yeah um and you know i i like to say this you know about the spanish pumpkins you know because when james and darcy left and even you know and jimmy you could mm-hmm. hear what that did to the music mm-hmm. you know so leave that as you will you know? <laughs> um uh but I, I you know just the the person being in the band um, whether they actually wrote the line or not could contribute to the band sound. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I don't, one album that I don't think gets enough credit, um, Interpol's self-titled album, which I believe is, gosh, their fourth or fifth. It's, yeah, it's, I think it, it's the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. That one is so good. Like, like I mean, um, I think the first two albums are the ones that everyone yeah. bought and everyone yeah. loves. Yeah. No question about it. They're fantastic. Um, by the time, yeah, you reach like the fourth one, holy cow, that is an amazing album. And I believe that was actually Carlos D's last album before he okay. left. And um, anyway, just just a, just a quick recommendation for that album. Uh, Interpol Self-Titled is a great record that not enough people uh, gave enough uh, attention to. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this song, the whole rhythm section in this song, Obstacle One, is so good. Mm-hmm. Like the bass sounds like, and it just has like the drums that go along with it. It's so, yeah, so good. I'm just repeating myself now. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is silly, but sometimes I like to uh, joke with my friends, like we'll have some wine, whatever, be drinking, and then we'll just like say, okay, let everyone talk like Interpol. Whoa! <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> does that mean just like totally pompous and like? That's just like no, Tara. Oh. Have you <laughs> have you had some wine today? Kind of a thing. Like it's just everything we say is like Interpol. I love that. So silly. It's a stu- stupid, silly game. I just had to call it. Out. It's crazy. I think that's a great game. <laughs> it's crazy that the singer is so into hip hop. Yeah, Paul like, Banks. Yeah, oh, is yeah he? Paul Banks. Like it's so wild. He actually produced <laughs> an entire album for um, it was it was for Jizza, right? Oh, oh my god, I believe I it was either Rizza or Jizza, and it was um, it was called Banks and Steels. That was the name oh, of, of the I release. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was basically they were trying to be Run the Jewels, and it, it, didn't, okay. it didn't it didn't quite work as well. Because come on, Run yeah, the Jewels, connect, is Run the yeah. Jewels. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah. it was still it was still really interesting. Yeah. All right, I think you're going to be 
both very pleased by my next selection, and you might even laugh. Uh, it's from 1994. The band is Space Hog, oh. and the song is In the Meantime. <laughs> very and iconic. Very iconic. Yeah. Iconic bass line. Very true. Yeah. Do, 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 It's so good. I had to, I had to keep keep it in the list. Great. <laughs> one one yeah. hit wonder kind of a thing, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Right? It is kind of like, crazy how that like they never uh, did they release an album after that? I don't know. I, I think I, they did. Yeah, I think uh. they did. I think they had maybe two albums, but I don't yeah. I mean nothing. that might be another thing too, where that guy might not even have been in that band. He might have been a session guy recording that bass line or something. Um, you know, I you thought, would, is it not uh, Royston Langdon, the singer who plays I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything about the band. I don't know anything about the band. So I'm just like, you know, who knows the chemistry of that one? Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was, he's the bassist. Royston Langdon, he was the one who sang on the song too. So oh, I, he did. I, okay. So yeah. It, it, okay. That makes totally sense then because it's like a, such a hooky bass line. Yeah. And he wrote it for the song. You know? Yeah. That album is Resident Alien, but I think the other one is starts with an A. I think maybe the other hmm. album. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I don't celebrate their whole catalog. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, number two, flying through my list. Um, 1994 again. Um, the song is Boys and Girls and the band is Blur. Wow. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right. Funky one. She's liking the funk. So funky. So <laughs> funky. I like the funk. I do like the funk. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It was it was so hard for me. I wanted to put a lot of like funk or disco songs on here, but I was just thinking those seem so obvious too mm. to me. Yeah, like so and like I, what I was saying before, like my choices were more songwriting baseline kind of choices, you know? Yeah. And not showcasing not just the player, but also like the song. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's why I went into it. Um, because we could we could probably talk all day about great bass players and like the lines they played and everything. Mm -hmm. Like even the bass player and like George Michael Freedom is fucking awesome. You right. Know? Like, right. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, it, it's it's, you know, I, I try to, you know, keep it to the to the song. Right. I mean, like, for example, none of us have even said the words Bootsy Collins yet. And they I, haven't. Yeah. I, I'd just like to say Bootsy Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who played on Delight, too, like yeah. who she brought up before. Yeah. I was going bring to him, bring him up then. But, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, or yeah. another another very famous bass player none of us have said yet, um, Les Claypool. Another very famous bass yeah, player. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, you know, th th there's a lot of angles there's we could a lot. have taken with these oh, yeah. lists. Yeah. For there's sure. a lot of famous bass players we could have included. Yeah. Because I was just thinking, but, actually, I would love to hear your top five uh, bass lines from disco songs, too, because that's an interesting yeah. list as well. So oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it's all good. Maybe we, I got uh, it if we, you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just come back to this list another day and yeah. just well, add it to yeah. genre. Be like, oh, sorry, we're, we're just doing reggae today. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so when I mentioned, you know, um, Carlos D was heavily influenced by Duran Duran. Um, so Alex James, the basis for Blur, said of this song, 
it has disco drums, nasty guitars, and Duran Duran bass. And I'm just like, what is it with Duran Duran? They, they have this epic bass player. I don't remember oh, yeah. anything oh, in particular. Yeah. Like, I don't remember super specific, like, bass lines. Which member of Duran Duran was the bass player? Which, who, who, who was the bass player? That's a good question. Um, and was it Andy Taylor? That, that would make sense. That was a member of Duran yeah. Duran. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I don't think, know. I think his name was Andy Taylor. Um, I don't, I don't want to let's, let's, I'm going to Google it. Right uh, now. I got you. I got you. Um, oh wait, no, I don't think Andy Taylor was the bassist. Is this a Doors situation? They had no bass player. Oh <laughs> uh, no, they're definitely, I mean, <laughs> have y'all ever seen that kids in the hall sketch, uh, called getting into the doors? You ever seen that one? No. There's just this amazing part where um Oh John, John Taylor. Taylor. Oh John, John Taylor. 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 <laughs> okay. okay. Sorry. There's this amazing John part Taylor, in that kids in the hall so. sketch where he goes, uh the the, the uh, snobby record store owner goes, Quick, tell me who's on base. And he looks at the back, he's like, No base. He's like, Yes. The gypsies had no homes, the doors had no base. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Um, but no, this is a, this is a, an excellent choice. And like to yeah. me, we were talking about Blur in the store not too long ago. I think it was when um, let's see when Noel was here. Uh, Noel Brown. We were discussing cover songs, and we were talking about Blur. And this was his like representational song of Blur. He's like, oh yeah, I always just figured they were like boys who like girls who like girls who yeah. like boys. But it's like, yeah, if you pick just any one little chunk of Blur, they're a completely different band. Like yeah. under yeah. the yeah. umbrella, it all makes sense as coming from one place. But yeah, but yeah if, if you only knew one album, you're, you're, you're not getting that whole picture of what Blur is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I agree with you on that. That's very true. Fun but band. that that album is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So good. So, um, yeah, good choice. Good choice. Wait, wait, right, which well, number was that, Tara? That was number two. Wow. Up to number one already. Yeah. Um, and number one is actually personal for me. Um, probably not a lot of people are going to know it. I'm excited to put it on here, and I can't wait to um, tell my my uh, connection on Facebook, who is this bass player that I mentioned her in this list of mm -hmm. epic bass lines. The band is That Dog, and the song is He's Kissing Christian. He's kissing Christian and it's making him Which I played on 120 Minutes last week. Yes, <laughs> that was my request. That was my request. Um, I learned that song when I was 15 on bass. I had a pink bass uh, guitar and I learned this song and I was obsessed with that dog. I was obsessed. Mm. I still love them so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, I saw them open up for Weezer and Teenage Fan Club when I was 14 or 15. That and came up just in your like, um, top five concerts you've ever seen list. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, just yeah. such an epic thing for me. It was like the first show that I got to see without any like parent supervision, parental supervision. Um, to see this cool girl band, well, except for Tony Maxwell, the drummer. And they they just had like these crazy harmonies and it was... It was alternative, but it was like poppy kind of at the time, which is not like pop these days. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I loved it so much. It was such a important moment for me. Um, and this song is is so important to me because I learned it on bass, and mm -hmm. yeah, I just love it. But it's uh, actually the bassist is Rachel Hayden, who is the sister 
of Petra Hayden. And um, she also sang in the rentals and, um, you know, she's in that dog, the rentals. And of course, I don't know how much you guys know about that dog, but Anna Warwonker is Joey Warwonker's sister. Oh, interesting. She was the singer of that dog. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, hon, so you, the bass player of that dog was in the rentals? Yeah, I think. She, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Rachel Hayden. Um, yeah, that's it. That's my list. It's funny what you said, though, about learning the song and like having like a deeper connection to it. I remember um, I, I, like my, my main schooling when I was in college was for art. Like my, my degree is in drawing, painting, printmaking. And um, the, one of the things that was said often around the art building was that if you really want to understand something, you have to draw it. Like, you know, if you really want to know how something works, like how it's structured, spend some time drawing it because you need to break it down into every element. And then actually by putting that muscle memory and that time into dedicating it to a piece of paper, you're going to know every single element of it. And I think the same thing is true for learning a song. Like if, if you oh, take yeah. the time to break it down in your mind, actually focus on the parts and then play it out one at a time, it, it's it's going to make an enormous impression on you and sometimes ruin the song for you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was a really hard part uh, for me when I when I joined Kill Hannah mm -hmm. was I was kind of coming from a, a more jamming environment, right? And just more improvising. And Matt was really the main songwriter and had all the ideas, you know? So learning his style and playing within that was really foreign to me because it was really like, like very, you know, he was just, you know, very rigid and not, you know, very, um, soulful, right. you know? Yeah. And, and, and it was just like, it, it was, you know, really weird to get used to, you know? So I, I totally agree with that. Cause like, but after that, I started listening to songs in a different way and breaking them down and it ruined the experience for listening to music. Oh, for sure. And so I had to come up with this balance of, you know, don't listen to it that way. Like train, train your, uh, train your brain to like, you know, separate it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I just started recently, um, for, for kicks, you know, we're, we're all stuck in our homes more or less. Um, I've been learning how to play Vince Guaraldi stuff on the piano and oh. holy cow. A, it's really difficult because he does a lot of like um, octave jumping with a single hand. Like, so that's just hard, just literally on like the biology of a human being. It's physically difficult. But um, yeah. on top of that, it's kind of ruining these songs for me. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't seem as magical and as like as special yeah, anymore. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's hard not to go in that world, especially if that's your profession. And, right. and to like think a different way because um, it can ruin the entire experience of something you loved. Yeah. And, and you, you sometimes yeah. have to like put that little math in your head of like, what's more valuable to me, my enjoyment of this or turning it into a paycheck. And yeah, sometimes yeah. just enjoying it's more valuable. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, just to sing the praises of Rachel Hayden even more, she toured as the touring bassist for Todd Rundgren. Oh, oh wow. 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 Yeah. Is this She's, like um, in like the old days of Todd Rundgren or like the latter days? I don't think days? so. No, I yeah. think it's like latter. Yeah, for sure. You, you um, want to hear? You want to hear another wild story? Please. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, go oh, ahead. Sarah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You go ahead with your story. I, but I, I have hear... another thing to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, Todd Rundgren opened for Kill Hannah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
opened for? <laughs> opened. Um, so we were playing the show at Metro and this band 12 Rods was playing. And I guess he produced 12 oh. Rods and was touring with them. So they were listed as 12 Rods and Tund Rundgren. And we had lined <laughs> over them, which was so weird. Wow. And, um, yeah. I think I still That's had crazy. the marquee on that one because I'm like, I got to take a picture of this. <laughs> like, no one's going to believe me. Uh, but I'm sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? No. Oh, no. Actually, a funny thing is that Liv Tyler was married to Royston Langdon of Space Hog and that Todd Rundgren is her dad or like her fake dad not yeah yeah Yeah. her fake dad non-biological father yeah yeah so it's it's all connected oh wow (laughs) i didn't know that oh yeah but i was just gonna say rachel hayden and petra who also was in the decemberists and their sister tanya they have a uh like acapella group like mountain man um yeah they were supposed to play big ears this year but of course it was canceled we couldn't go their dad is a famous jazz uh jazz musician uh charlie hayden I don't okay. think I know him, but yeah, that's yeah. cool. Huh. Yeah. Crazy. Wowie zowie. Are the Decemberists still around or, or are they done? Oh, I don't know. That's a good I, haven't heard the, I haven't heard anything new from the Decemberists and it's got to be what? Like, I want to say a decade, right? Huh. I don't know. I've, I haven't thought about the Decemberists in a while. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you there. I mean, I was never like, I never you got really into them, so I don't know, but yeah. they were just always around. I know they were prolific. Yeah. You know, and, as yeah. a person who uh, spent my formative years in Portland, Oregon, they were- yeah. Always around, they they yeah, they, they yeah. were uh, a part of the scene, you know. They were they were doing their thing, and uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we started. Oh, I, I guess I could follow the train of thought back, but it's surprising <laughs> we ended up at the uh, Decemberists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, excellent list, and um, yeah, some of these songs I've not heard, so I, I need Can to I... I need to look these up for sure. Yeah, same same yeah. here, same here. I really, really just want to give a special highlight to someone that I think never gets enough credit, and I just didn't want to include it on my list though. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I think his name is Dean DeLillo. From uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Right. Oh, wow. That bass player is so good. I mean, just if you listen to the bass lines of any Stone Temple Pilots song, it's so melodic and you don't even really pay any attention to it. And I just, I, he's, he's an unsung hero for sure. Well, and and those are sometimes the best bass players, right? Right. The ones that, you know, like just fill in the holes and make it all sound great. And then when you take it out, you're like, holy shit. Like, (laughs) you know. Special, special call out. I mean, it takes something... To be a bass player and not overplay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why I think we're flea kind of faults, right? <laughs> I, well, yeah. but, but I, I think in any it other... Well, actually, no, no. Actually, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of credit right here. Uh, flea, when he's played in other groups, for example, he was in a group with Tom York called yeah, Adams Ad- for Peace. Adams for Peace, yeah. I oh, saw yeah. that. I, and, and I, he did not I really overplay there. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he, you're right. You're right. So, you're so I right. guess he plays Red Hot Chili Peppers style bass <laughs> yeah. in Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, yeah, yeah. So interesting, huh? I, I, I mean, never, I never thought about that till now. Flea, when I saw that show, he's still Flea, right? You know, but yeah, it was more like tasteful. He wasn't so, yeah. um, I guess, obnoxious. But that's kind of Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's the style. So yeah, that's what you kind of expect. You know, Southern California obnoxious is kind yeah, yeah. of like. Th- 
the 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 default description yeah. for red hot chili peppers for good or for yeah. bad you know what i mean like yeah. I, yeah. i'll also say uh flea was always um was a big supporter of my favorite local radio station when i left in los angeles which was kxlu like whenever they would have like you know um fundraisers or whatever he would just like call in to make a donation and they'd be like hey you want to talk he's like no nah, i'm fine <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm just i'm just calling in to support the radio station <laughs> well bringing it back to dean delillo or whatever his name is mm-hmm. Listen to Interstate Love Song and tell me that bass line isn't just flawless. Yeah. So uh, good. Is, is he part of your shortlist, Tara? That's my shortlist. Yeah, part of my shortlist. Should I just go into my shortlist? Please. Yeah, go into yeah, it. Let's yeah. hear some more. The Breeders Cannonball. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great one. And great music so video, simple. too. Yeah. So rock, simple, yeah. but so effective. Mm-hmm. The Clash, Rock the Casbah. Oh, yeah. great one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And pretty much anything by The Strokes, I would say. Yeah. Simple, but some like driven bass lines that yeah, yeah, true, work true. so well for the song. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, how about you, Greg? Anything you wanted to talk about but didn't? Um, yeah, I, I have a total long list here. Um, I'll just talk about certain songs. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the songs I always played in Soundcheck uh, for my band was Ride, Leave Them All Behind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's got this amazing bass line in the beginning. It's so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the band with two bass players, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Um, oh, yeah. From, from 1991. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, that album was so influential for me and just playing bass chords and then having a low bass player and a, and a, a bass player to play chords was just a genius idea. Right. I'm surprised awesome. you didn't include Ned's Atomic Dust. I know, I know. Truth. It was hard. It was, it, it, it was hard. Um, another one, uh, Beastie Boys Gratitude. Oh, like, mm, such yeah. A, yeah. Such a, and MCA is such a great bass player and kind of overlooked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, um, oh, sorry. I, no, go for it. Just yeah. related to your Beastie Boys, uh, Shout out. I just now I'm thinking of that Luscious Jackson song too. Uh, Here I Come or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's a funky bass line. Yeah. Totally forgot about that one too. Dang. And then another another punk rock one is Jawbreaker I Want. Like that that bass line is just so awesome, you know, and it just drives the whole song. You know, Sisters of Mercy, we talked before, Lucretia, My Reflection. Um, and then, of course, I didn't want to bring up this band because I fucking hate them. <laughs> but, but old Aerosmith is actually pretty good. And Sweet Emotion oh, yeah. is like, that's a motherfucking baseline, you know? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, And, you know, people probably don't even know that it's a baseline that does that, you know, like that that riff. Um, and then, of course, you know, Game 4, Damaged Goods, mm-hmm. um, La Tigra, Decepticon, another oh. great, you know, uh, riff. Um Moving into kind of newer bands, moving units between us and them. Um, mm-hmm. Another great bass line. Um, and then this band Voyager One had this song called Gun. Um, that's just a total grooving bass line. Um, that's awesome. And then, you know, uh, my last uh, on the short list, that's longer <laughs> than my normal list, was just, like, <laughs> you know, was just you too, with or without you. You right. know, like it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's totally simple, but so effective. Love mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah. Before I go into my short list, uh, I, I want to specifically um, mention something that happened today, which I thought was very funny. I was on our Discord channel, which is, uh, you know, if, if anyone in the store wants to go visit it, go to recordstoresociety.com. There's a button right there. Click it. It's a fun place for everyone who visits this record store to just chit chat with each other. And it's it's a wonderful place. Everyone's so respectful of each other's opinions mm-hmm. and willing to share everything that they know about music. And just it's it's a fun place to have conversations in a fun place. I, I dig it. But 
on there today, apropos of nothing, this this was just brought up on its own accord. Uh, one of our our uh, frequent customers here in the record store and a someone who talks a lot on the Discord page, Matt one one zero seven, he posted "Barbarism Begins at Home" is his favorite baseline ever, and I have to agree that the Smiths wrote some killer fucking oh, baselines. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so true. true. Barbarism Begins at Home is a great choice. So anyway. I, he wasn't trying to add anything to this list because he had no idea we'd be talking about this in the record store today. Yeah. But he mentioned it today, so I thought I'd uh, mention it as well. Shout, shout out to Matt. Good yes. choice. Yeah, shout Matt out to Matt. Matt 1107. Hello, uh, if you're in the store. <laughs> and uh, the ones on my list, my number six, like I mentioned before, was uh, She's Lost Control from uh, yeah. Joy Division. You know, Peter Hook, yeah. fucking killer. Yeah. And then I, because I just did them in order, I didn't go beyond a number six. But... I did make a rule for myself that I wouldn't put two up from the same artist on my list. Okay. So, so I had other songs by artists I already mentioned. So um, okay. Lounge Act by Nirvana. I don't know, guys, if, okay. you, if you know that one. But that's I the, think I yeah I the, think I think that one. Um, that is another one that I learned to play on the bass at a young age, and it was just like, yeah, this feels good. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's that it's that yeah. feeling again. <laughs> and another one was um, when I was already thinking of uh, Death from Above, 1979. I also thought about their song Romantic Rights because that's that one where they make that very uh, yeah that, the firm yeah yeah yes it's the one where they make that noise and it's 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 um I'm going to use a word that I learned recently it's it's very echoic. You guys know that word? What? No. I do not know that one. Iconic is a visual thing that it's like, oh, look, that's very iconic. Echoic is the same meaning, but it goes for your ears. Oh. So, so oh. like, for example, if like the, like the NBC, the boom, 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 that is echoic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I probably used iconic wrong then uh, when I mentioned some of those baselines before. Could could be. Who knows? I'm not. I'm, I'm not smart enough to know anything. <laughs> um, but anyway, last thing we should do. We got to lock up. We're we're already past our closing time. But we got to restock the employee recommendation shelf. Uh, the thing I'm going to put up there, there's a band and you know, there's all these bands that we love that get plenty of attention. And then there's, there's these bands that for some reason, no one ever talks about them, despite the fact that they are amongst as good as many of the other bands that do get talked about every single day. And anyway, I just want to talk about one cause I was listening to them this week and I really love them. The band is called nurses. They are uh, Portland-based, kind of avant-pop, kind of psychedelic, kind of, um, if there's like a Venn diagram between like Born Ruffians and Modest Mouse and Animal Collective, they're kind of like in there somewhere. But um, I really love this band, Nurses, and I, I, I don't hear people talk about them often enough. Um, they only have four albums. There's uh, Their first one is Hanging Nothing But Our Hands Down. That was 2007. Second one was called Apple's Acre in 2009. Third one was called Dracula in 2011. And then their newest one is called Notland in 2017. And um, I, I guess the if I'm putting one on the shelf, I'm putting up uh, Apple's Acre by Nurses. Come out. I remember the band Clinic. Oh, Clinic. Um, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminded me. Nurses Clinic. So. Yeah. 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 And also, I would say Clinic is another group that people, people don't talk about often enough. Uh, right. you, my... got, you got one, Tara? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I love the band Mr. Twin Sister. Mm. And uh, they released two new songs on February 26th. The 
you can buy on Bandcamp. They are called Diary and Expressions. And Diary has like a couple kind of like, it has like acidy vibe to it almost. Um, and Expressions is very groovy. Yeah, highly recommend. Go support on Bandcamp. That's my recommendation. This is another thing we mentioned on uh, Discord when you first uh, put this in our like music recommendation section. Um, I feel like we should do a top five musicians or bands that we wish we knew better because Mr. Twin Sister is definitely on my list. Everything I've ever heard is th- of the highest quality, but I, I I couldn't tell you any information about the actual really? group at all. Nothing. I, I, I've only yeah, heard I've never... the songs. Yeah, I, I don't know the band, actually. I don't know that band. Oh, they're so good. I actually... So kind of like right after I just moved to Atlanta, I started writing music blog posts for this all girl blog called Sorry Darlin, mm-hmm. um, which then I ended up being like the blog DJ or whatever since defunct. But uh, I wrote about one of their first albums and I have followed them ever since. And it, I just love them so much. And one time I went to New York to visit a friend and I saw... Some of them, some of the members of the band at a party that I was at. I was like, oh my gosh, it's your twin sister. But at that time they were called twin sister. So I love when that happens. I remember when uh, we were in LA recording our first album for Atlantic and we were going to all these parties and we just kept on running into Nick Zinner. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is before like, yeah, yeah. blew up, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, like, like their EP was out, I think, you know, and, and he we wound up befriending his girlfriend and then, you know, I'd see him in when I, my, my girlfriend at the time was in Brooklyn. So then I ran into him in Brooklyn at like a bagel shop. Like I just love like when you like, like run into like random like musicians like that, that you like. Yeah. It's funny because my friend Jordan is the band Snowden basically. Mm-hmm. And he was with us and I saw our, our, my, well, friends ish, if you want to call it uh VHS or beta. Oh, they dude, were there, yeah, like, Craig, Craig and uh, Craig, yeah, Mark Palgi. Yeah. yeah, I know those guys. I love those guys. Yeah, <laughs> so they were there too. It was like, okay. uh, I'm at the coolest party in New York right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, Greg, uh, I, I know you don't work here, but how about you uh, throw something up on the employee recommendation shelf? All right, well, my, my employee recommendation is actually a three-year-old record, but I don't think enough people know about this band. They're called Actors, and they're from Vancouver. Um, this is definitely my favorite album in the last five years. The whole thing is good from top to bottom. And that's kind of my rule now when buying vinyl, mm-hmm. it's got to be good all the way through. Otherwise I don't want to like pick up the needle and skip songs, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to move the fucking vinyl when I move, right. you know? So until I know where I'm living for uh, like, if I buy a place, then maybe I'll buy, start buying vinyl again. Um, but yeah, actors is so good. It's, it's like, Definitely in the dark wave realm, um, somewhere in between like Sisters of Mercy. Um, oh God, what else? You know, Bauhaus, and uh, there's there's some synth on there too. You know, so I don't I don't know. They're they're just really good, and the songwriting's really good. It's not just a sound. It's like because a lot of the new dark wave stuff is like, oh, that's a cool sound, but it's not a cool song. Right. And they wrote like great songs. Love it. Love it. I, I haven't heard this, so I look forward to yeah, checking yeah, it out. Yeah. 
Nice. So, I mean, uh, also another thing I mentioned, like I, all I do, I listen to a lot of new music because I have a radio show in Chicago um, called Independent Dance Party. Mm -hmm. So it's all like, it's not just dance music, but it's like indie dance and indie rock, but it's got to be like upbeat. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I just like, I'm constantly digesting new music and, and listening to a lot of new stuff. And there's a ton of kick-ass bands coming out of Australia right now. Like yeah. The, last, oh, the really? last two years, it's just like every song I like, is it's from Australia. I'm just like, what the hell's huh. going on? <laughs> you know? but back to that conversation we had about uh, the guy from Maroon 5 saying there's no more bands anymore. I'm like, dude, have you never heard of King Gizzard, the Lizard Wizard? I yeah, mean, come yeah. on. They're, yeah. they, they are, That's a band. They are yeah. one of the best quote-unquote band bands yeah. like out yeah. there right now. Go, go, go see a King Giz show and... and <laughs> and talk about a band evolving. Oh, yeah. You know, like, God, every record sounds different and mm -hmm. it's like, it's awesome. And, and then they put out like four a year. So you got plenty yeah. to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> Prolific. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, hey, you know, we, we've kept the store open longer than we should have, but forget it. We had fun times here and that's that's what it's all about. So, yeah, we um, talked talk music forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Greg, thank you so much for stopping by today. We really yeah. appreciate it. It was great to be here. It was great to be in a record store for the first time in, you know, over a year. <laughs> well, well, we'll do it again very soon. Um, you're, yeah. you're our favorite kind of customer. So uh, I guess we should all head out. But uh, thank you for coming, everyone else who's in the store. Double thank you, Greg. But uh, it's time to close. So uh, happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.